Greetings, Binge Lords. This is Jason from Binge Movies, and I'm here with two very special guests. Uh, I'm here with Brad Henderson and Curtis Spieler, who are uh, filmmakers in their own right, but also work for a label and a, a distribution company that people who are familiar with binge movies will probably know. It's called Vinegar Syndrome. And uh, if you don't know what Vinegar Syndrome is, they're a genre film preservation and distribution company. And Brad here is the acquisition and special features producer, among many other sort of a jack of all trades at Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, and then Curtis, the internet says you just work for Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, but to quote you, quoting Futurama, when you do things right, people won't be sure that you did anything at all. So does that just mean you do everything right at Vinegar Syndrome? Uh, I mean, I think I do. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, Vinegar Syndrome, you know, we're, we're kind of a DIY company. So yeah. uh, the guys here, we all, uh, and girls, uh, all have like multiple jobs. But I guess my main job is restoration artist and uh, editor. So, yeah, I want to start with Vinegar Syndrome itself. How long have you guys been around? And just assuming some people don't know who you are, what kind of flicks do you specialize in? Vinegar Syndrome's been around for uh, close to 10 years now. Okay. Um, I, I started in the company um, kind of doing freelance work probably around 2018. Um, it was the Undertaker release that was the very first thing I ever worked on. But I've known of Vinegar Syndrome pretty much ever since uh, Night Train to Terror came out. I was, I was a fan and... And, you know, uh, interacted with James and Brandon there, um, kind of doing, you know, favors and just joking around and, you know, shooting the shit. And eventually it led into um, a job. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've been there for, you know, four years now, something like that. Five years in spirit, probably eight. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Were you the one to make the call to release Don't Panic Pajamas? Uh, yes, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm responsible. I'm responsible for that. Okay. All right. So Brad, I'm gonna follow up with you. Is, according to the internet, you have two main tasks, finding movies that may be lost to time and then developing special features for them. But how hard is it to secure one underseen genre films? And how in the world do you develop special features for movies that barely existed in the first place? Yeah, well, we, we do, to, to kind of uh, be clear, we have an acquisitions team. There's, uh, you know, kind of like Curtis said, all of us do a little bit. Um, but uh, as far as like kind of, you know, recommending movies, we all kind of do that. But it's kind of Joe, Ruben, and myself that uh, kind of really push for a lot of them. But uh, everybody has their hands in it. You know, Justin Liberty, Ryan, I, everybody's recommending movies. We're all movie lovers. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, we, we all kind of shoot the shit with movies and then things come up. We talk about what, what not. Um, so, I mean, it's just kind of a, a, a wide knowledge from everybody of growing up with this stuff, going to the video store when we're all kids and remembering these movies. Um, and then, of course, you know, watching new movies consistently, you know, and always experiencing new things. Um, as far as extras go, I mean, I, one of my, one of the, first things I ever did for Vinegar Syndrome was uh, just finding people. Um, because a lot of these people haven't been in films or been in the spotlight in 30, 40 years. Right. Um, so 
like Liam Neeson, I just had a you know special <laughs> set of skills that helped me find these people, and I would bring some talent in, um, and you know help set up interviews, um, and I was pretty good at it. So uh, you know that's kind of what led to the job, and um, that went into <laughs> finding rights and and you know recommending movies, and it just kind of all fell into place. So. Okay, so when the acquisition team, Curtis, brings you a pile of junk and says, this is what we want on Blu-ray, and you're the guy that has to edit and restore some of that material, are you ever overwhelmed by that task? Like, what the hell have you guys given me? Because we're going to, again, we're going to get to New York Ninja, and it's just spools of uh, uncut film without even soundtrack. So, but other than, other than New York Ninja, are there sometimes you're handed projects and you're like, do you expect me to be a miracle worker? And are you, are you working miracles? Are you turning water to wine for exploitation films and pornos? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would, I, once again, I think we are. Um, yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to restoration, I mean, the, it really comes down to the elements. It comes down to how well the film elements were taken care of in the first place. And so, uh, you know, that's the thing with Vinegar Syndrome. Like, you look at some other companies, like you take, like, Criterion or Scream Factory or, you know, one of these other companies where right. they um, they have elements that might have been taken care of better than ours we tend to get movies that are lost or hard to find and sometimes weren't always taken care of as well so sometimes we have to put in a lot of extra work to get them to look good and uh sorry you know some of these other companies they have these films that were already historically significant so they were taken care of well prior to that which makes I'm not saying that their job is easier. I'm just saying that, you know, we're, we're, we're digging in the dirt sometimes, you know? And yeah. so, uh, you know, we, we work hard to bring these movies back to life. Uh, and yes, some of them are much harder than others. So this is a question for both of you guys, kind of following up, Curtis, with what you just said. So like the work of like an Alamo Draft House or Scream Factory, Shout Factory, some of the other folks you mentioned over like the last 15 years has brought new attention, so to speak, to like cult movies and, and bringing them back to the forefront of nerd culture. Although uh, for movie fanatics like ourselves, cult movies have always been, you know, from the video store era, even before that, you know, if you were a true movie nerd, you've, there's a, there is that attraction for the underseen forgotten film, the cult film, the exploitation film, uh, the non-mainstream stuff. But it seems like there's been companies that have helped bring that back to the forefront of nerd culture. And I guess my question is, why do you think now in the Internet age there is such an audience for either movies forgotten at time or movies that never got a shot in the first place? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in first. I mean, this is just a, a, a personal observation is I feel like the more that technology that the faster it expands, the more people yearn for like nostalgia. Mm. And so you've seen this like rise of streaming, but you've also seen this rise of physical media. And so you're, you're seeing this uh, like with vinyl making the resurgence that it has. And uh, even like the VHS tape collecting has had this big resurgence. So I think it's like the, the more technology progresses, the more people kind of yearn for nostalgia. So I think that's a big part of it. And then, you know, I think people just recognizing 
these films. I mean, you have filmmakers out there that are, you know, around our age now who are grew up on movies like this and are mm-hmm. now making modern movies that are influenced by these films. You know, obviously Quentin Tarantino is probably the biggest example of that. And so people are finding out that there's a whole other world of movies that exists out there that maybe they didn't know about. And so they're going back and finding these things that are influencing modern filmmakers. And I, I think that's important. Yeah, I mean, to kind of piggyback off what Curtis said, um, you know, there's, it is a certain kind of group of people that really kind of push, you know, towards this. And I would say roughly the ages where, you know, you would probably go back maybe seven or eight years ago, mm. uh, kind of when this really, really kickstarted and started in increasing year by year, getting more and more popular. Um, it was around the ages of people that, you know, 30, 45 years old. And uh, those ages were the people that were at the video stores. Mm. So when you go to the video store, these movies would be on the shelf. You know, it'd be one tape, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you go to mom and pop places, you would have just this plethora of films. And, um, you know, over time, because of how these stores operated, uh, the, 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 you know, the demand for the movies, the movies that stayed in replication and and kept getting released that were, you know, obviously big studio films, uh, you know, big cult films, stuff like that. Um, and really, a lot of it started on DVD, you know, uh, a, a little bit, but there wasn't there wasn't a, a collector's market. I mean, I remember going to Best Buy and getting really excited over Code Red and Anchor Bay DVD, mm. you know, and that, that was like a big thing for me because some of these tapes were, were hard to find. So that's originally when it started, like, you know, uh, screen factory, vinegar syndrome, arrow, all the, all these people, uh, there was companies beforehand. Yeah. was kind of doing the same thing, but it was just DVD and, uh, and they were doing, you know, uh, quote unquote restoration. Uh, but it was, you know, <laughs> on DVD. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was just kind of bringing some of these things to life. And I think, a big thing that kickstarted it was people wanting to see these movies again uh, with a better picture quality. Uh, so, you know, the demand started increasing. And, um, you know, they're wanting, like Curtis said, the nostalgia back and, and having kind of going on Amazon or, you know, these people's websites or Diabolic DVD or Grindhouse Video mm-hmm. and, and just looking at the plethora of choices. It makes you kind of feel, you know, like you're back in the day. Yeah, but the thing is that there's just so much out there that be discovered. You know that there's there's films that are out there that are great that no one has seen yet. You know, or or people that have you know power to to kind of bring it back into uh, kind of uh, the atmosphere, I guess you could say. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think every company is working hard and and trying to get. Uh, you know, quality content. And, and sometimes it's not about if the movie's good. Sometimes <laughs> as, as kind of like our thing is yeah. that just the movie shouldn't disappear. Yeah. You know, not everything that Vinegar Syndrome releases, we're going to say this is the best movie ever made. No, no. Sometimes the movies aren't that great. But it's not the point. The point is, is to restore these films so they don't disappear. You know, I think our catalog's very strong. Do I like every film in there? No, not necessarily. But that's that's just taste, you know, yeah. that's kind of how everybody is. But no film should disappear no matter how bad it is. Um, I know it's quick and easy to say, oh, yeah, that should have been left undiscovered or that should have been left, 
in the garage and disappeared. Well, no, it's people's livelihood. You know how hard it is to make a movie? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, but yeah, I, I just, I just think, and, and people like to discover new things. This movie has existed for 40 years and you've never heard of it. Now some companies putting it together with some, you know, great packaging and a great restoration with two hours of extras. Uh, you know, what is this? You know, that's, I guess, what people say. And honestly, a big thing that I see from especially our fan base are blind buys. You know, a lot of people just blind buy stuff because it's kind of hard to find. And if you do find it, you're probably watching some third generation, fourth generation blurry VHS rip off of, you know, you. Yeah. um, Well, so that it's kind of cool, you know, to see these movies back out again with the care and respect that uh, companies just give them. What's the thing other than just, Hey, we want to preserve this. That really makes you go. That is worth as a company investing Curtis's time, restoring it, (laughs) investing your time and your team's time, developing special features for that. You think that the vinegar syndrome audience or hardcore cinephile audience could be attracted to. Uh, Is there some kind of like, internal rubric that you have i mean what is it a gut feeling what is the thing that makes you go this is one we got to put out usually sex and violence those (laughs) (laughs) that's that's really our our measurement for a lot of things but there Um, are so many movies that have sex and violence in them you know and you're not putting everything out i don't don't think yeah i don't think you guys have put a don doler film out yet i think that's you know (laughs) that i know of i remember Night Beast. Night Beast. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, it's really on a case by case basis. I mean, each film that crosses our path, I mean, we say no to a lot of things, but I mean, there's a lot of films that we don't just because we want to see them back out there. I mean, I've discovered so many movies working at Vinegar Syndrome that I didn't even know existed. And right. All of a sudden, it, we start restoring it, and I was like, oh my God, this movie is awesome. So. Um, you know, I really just think we kind of take it on a film by film basis. Uh, I'm not sure if there's an actual, uh, there's no actual guidelines that we go by. It's really just kind of a gut feeling if we think, Hey, this movie is, is cool and people should see it. So Curtis, has there ever been a movie that you've been given that was like, this is cool. People should see it. You guys start getting into it and you're like, it can't be restored. Like it's sad, but there's just not enough here that we can put it out to the vinegar syndrome quality or that you and your team are like we put we put time money hours into this and it's not releasable even though it would be pretty badass um no because a lot of it really comes down to finding the elements prior to things so there's there's definitely been movies that were on our radar and we would like to release them but then tracking down the film elements became difficult or we couldn't find good enough film elements to work with and then sometimes you know we there's definitely been movies where we've had to take uh elements from different sources to uh make the best version that we could um so a lot of it really always starts with the film elements so finding them is a big uh step but yeah i mean there's there's definitely a lot of things um that we've kind of gone after and then we found out we really couldn't find elements and then either they have to wait until we find them or we just kind of have to pass on it so um okay elements are key so that brings us to the obscure of the obscure you guys are releasing obscure films for preservation 
you have to have the, the appropriate amount of elements to put the film back together and release it in a way that is like worthy of your customers money and worthy of your guys's time. Yet you find <laughs> this 40 plus year old movie. Nobody has seen, nobody has heard of, and it has very few of the necessary elements to make a feature length film that's releasable. And then this one you go, that one's worth recreating from the ground up. We're talking about New York Ninja. Abductions of young women are still being reported. Another woman with mysterious radiation burns has been discovered. We're gonna have a baby. Oh my God. I can't believe that John's wife was murdered. You have to try and pull yourself together. This city owes me. Well, what's that? Justice. Why won't anyone do anything? We are strong on crime, and together we have the power. This is a big city. We're doing what we can. Dude, what happened? Is it okay? What? Oh, shit. Tell the others, I'm coming for this. I need you to help me. I would, but I want them dead. Crime has remained at an all-time low thanks to Ninja Fever. We're going live with this. These men murdered her because of what she saw. It's linked to these abductions. There's something weighing us down. It's that damn ninja. <laughs> New York Ninja's a real hero. What was it that made this one the one where you're like, we're going to reconstruct this movie almost from the ground up? All right. So New York Ninja in and of itself is a story. And so um, really, it kind of started with me. Like, I don't want to take full credit for it, but like when I started working for Vinegar Syndrome, so we have our, our film archive here, and this is where we store all of our film. And on literally the very first day I started working for Vinegar Syndrome, which was, I think, like four years ago, um, I was going on a tour in the film archive with Brandon Upson, who does a lot of our film scanning here. And he was showing me around, and there were these boxes that were labeled New York Ninja. And I remember Brandon telling me that you know, the, it was an unfinished, unedited movie. And one of the reasons why I became involved with Vinegar Syndrome to begin with is um, the hopes that down the road we would kind of move into doing original productions and all that kind of stuff. So that's one of the reasons that I was hired. So when I found out that we had this unfinished movie in our film archive, immediately I was like, ooh, that would be interesting to finish it. Um, Brandon told me at that point that all the sound elements were missing. So I realized at that point it wasn't going to be just an edit to, to put it together, that there was actually going to be a level of production. And at the time, the company wasn't really ready for that yet. And I was still, you know, kind of getting my feet in the water and like learning the company. So after about a year of me working here, um, I proposed to the owners, you know, we have this film that's sitting in our film archive that is unfinished. Would you let me finish it? And they said yes. And that's really where the journey started. Brad, when you start working for the company, are you aware of New York Ninja? Were you involved in its acquisition? What's your history with the film? Uh, so, so my history uh, with the film was because uh, Curtis and I were somewhat kind of 
kind of hired around the same time in a way. I mean, he he was he's in Connecticut. I'm I'm in Florida. So, you know, Curtis is already working for Vinegar Syndrome. Um, I was doing a lot of uh, I was doing a kind of acquisitions like helping get some films to Vinegar Syndrome, helping find people. Um, and uh, my my I think the first day I spoke to Curtis was about New York Ninja. Wow. I think the day that I like, I, right? Because we had a phone. Uh, yeah, because I think Ryan was like, hey, or Brandon was like, hey, Curtis, you know, we have we want you to find somebody for this movie, and uh, they said Curtis is going to call you, and I was, I was at gas station when he when he <laughs> called me, and he's like, hey, have you ever heard of this, you know, uh, you know, martial artist John Liu, and like, you know, we need to find him. We have this movie, kind of the whole you know shebang about this unfinished movie with no sound. Um, let's try to find John Liu, and and that was that was my introduction to to New York Ninja is is we were trying to track down to see the story behind it because we didn't know anything really yeah. at the time. We just, it was unfinished um, and had no sound. And uh, obviously, un- well, there's differences between like being unfinished and unedited. I mean, that <laughs> there was both of those. Yeah, um, right. You know? So it was kind of a, a, a gamble, uh, too, on, you know, on Vinegar Syndrome's part. Um, and I'm sure it was pretty nerve wrecking for curtis was that you know scanning these elements as they were coming in what's on them like is there a movie kind of complete on here is there only you know 45 minutes of a movie um does it even make any because we didn't have a script either you know so uh my introduction was trying to find john lou um and that was kind of my first journey uh with it and then um down the road when we kept on hitting dead ends. It came about of, you know, well, let's edit the film together, um, do sound, hire, you know, some genre actors right. and if we can actually make something of this. But that was I mean, that was Curtis working pretty much every day after after he was doing the vinegar syndrome work on other stuff, uh, going to Ninja for the, the, you know, late night, late night Ninja parties that he was doing by himself at Vinegar Syndrome. <laughs> so you're at a gas station somewhere in, in Florida, let's say central Florida, somewhere, wherever. I don't live there. I was just getting gas. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you're pumping your gas. The phone rings. You got a brand new coworker. This guy says there's a movie. Nobody in the world has heard of starring a guy that some people have heard of, but it's never been released and uh, has no sound we have no script it's not edited uh, uh no post-production work had been done at all it's just reels of raw footage basically uh don't know what we got but i like to recreate this movie and i've been given a green light let's get this done can you find the guy john lou so for those who don't know john lou and his history in martial arts film especially in the uh the overseas market and then the new york market who is John Liu, and who was he circa 1984? Uh, fill us in. Give us a little bit of history. Well, uh, so it's funny because I was actually familiar with John Liu prior to this movie. Yeah. Um, and and I, I just want to tell this story real quick because it's kind of fun. But uh, for those that have seen the movie, um, the very first footage we saw when we scanned it in on the first reel to see what was on there was the fight um by the water uh if you've seen the movie john has this memorial this gold memorial for his <laughs> yes. wife and and there's these 
there's these punks doing like flips <laughs> off of uh, park benches and going yeah. all crazy. That's the that's the very first thing that we saw <laughs> here in the building. And the, the very strange facial mask apparatuses where it's yeah. just like the same five guys and very different, just different shit in their face at different fucking times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, like, instantly when we saw that, we were like, oh, man, we might have something here. And uh, I, I had seen on the slate, like, I, I just didn't think that anybody of note would be in the film. It had just hadn't even crossed my mind. Right. And so when I, uh, when I, saw, the, I saw the name John Liu on the slate, but it, it didn't click until I saw him. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, that's John Liu because he's a very recognizable face. And so uh, for those who don't know you know, John Liu, he was a, a martial arts actor in the 70s, um, probably most known for a movie called The Secret Rivals. That was probably his like breakout movie. And, uh, you know, he he was cast in some of these films. And, you know, uh, as time went on, he then uh, stopped uh, just acting and he got into directing his own movies with I believe it was his wife they went to like Europe or whatever and they started making their own movies that he would star in he would like write produce direct star all that kind of stuff and um, I mean I'll, I'll be 100% honest they, they're not great right, <laughs> he was, right his films when he was just acting like his martial arts skills are great but then these other films, I think it was just they didn't have the budgets and uh, he had too much on his plate. And so they just really weren't doing that well. And I think New York Ninja, it was his only American production. But I think this was his last like hurrah, so to speak. And uh, because the movie just never even was finished and there was budgetary problems, right. and production issues. And then the company that started at 21st Century Distribution, they went bankrupt. And uh so it just fell by the wayside. And actually after that, he, he retired. So, um, you know, for anybody that's into martial arts films, um, or wants to see films that he's in, I would recommend, uh, the secret rivals definitely is a must. And, uh, invincible armor is another one, uh, that people will probably recognize if you're a Wu-Tang fan. Uh, I think they sample, uh, a part of the movie in one of their songs. I'm drawing a blank on which one right now, but, uh, so that's that's basically the background of John Liu. And again, unfortunately, we we actually never did were able to track him down. So, OK, so you guys find these reels with this unedited, nonsensical film without sound. And you decide you want to rebuild the movie for the ground up. And you decide you're going to finish it because you see this scene <laughs> with the park bench. And you're like, this is worthwhile. We want to go with it. But Curtis, you're a filmmaker yourself. Both of you guys are. So as filmmakers, how many of the f your filmmaking skill sets had to come into practice? And which ones? You're not shooting it. You can't go out and get extra coverage. You can't go out and get different shots. You can't, you can't really, this isn't like a special edition. This is, you have to, there's stuff that exists, but not really at the same time. So what skill sets as a filmmaker come into play for a task like that? It's very unique. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, literally all of them. <laughs> I, um, I, well, you know, I was joking around, like as, as I was doing this, this whole movie, um, my girlfriend, who's now currently my fiance, like I kept saying to her, I feel like everything that I've done in my filmmaking career has led up to this movie wow. because it was really about 
more than anything, fixing the problems. And that's what a lot of filmmaking is. But so the, the movies that I've made, I've made three low-budget feature films. I've made a number of shorts, but I've made three low-budget feature films, all horror movies. And, um, you know, because of budget, I, I would write, I would help produce, I would direct, and I would edit. And none of those things were, well, except for directing. Directing is what I wanted to do. Mm. And over the years, as I was doing my own films, like writing just became part of getting a movie made. Mm. You know, like if, if I wanted to get something made, I would have to write within a budget that I knew I could afford. So it's like, okay, well, I'll just be the one to write it then. So, so that I could focus on the budget and keep things confined or whatever I needed to do to actually make it happen. So I was, you know, building writing skills while I was doing that and then editing, you know, it just became kind of easier to edit my own films because, you know, when you're on a low budget production, sometimes you're moving very quickly um, and you have something in your mind and it's sometimes just easier to take over the editing brains later instead of trying to funnel that through an editor you know because right. you're like listen i i know what i'm gonna do with this so like i will edit it and then what would happen is i would find my own problems and i would have to figure out how to fix them mm. so you know a lot of filmmaking is really about problem solving and fixing your own your own problems so with my films because of the low budgets it was a lot of problem solving and all of that came into play here especially the editing um you know because like when I made my own films, if I got into the editing room and a scene didn't work, I didn't really have the luxury of going back and reshooting anything. You know, it's like you have like two weeks to make this movie. Right. Then the cast is gone and they're off on something else like you can't really bring them back sometimes. And so I would have to sit there and go, OK, I didn't get the coverage that I needed. How do I make this work? And so when I got into New York Ninja, that was one of the big things is there's very little coverage. <laughs> it, yeah. It's like it's like one or two takes on stuff. And, you know, sometimes these scenes weren't even finished or, you know, I'm trying to get into their mind of what they were even doing. Um, we've we've heard that it was really like a fly by your seat, fly by the seat of your pants type shoot where they were kind of like making up stuff as they were going on, going along. And so I can see all that in the in the the raw footage. And so really trying to figure out how to compile that and make these scenes work when they really almost didn't, you know, didn't have any right to work <laughs> <laughs> is, is really where, you know, my my skills came in. So, yeah, I uh, I'm, I'm grateful for my like low budget film education because it really helped bring me to where I am right now. Brad tries to find John Lou. Through a phone call of a phone call of a phone call of a phone call. Somebody's like, we found him. He's living in a pretty desperate situation in a shack. And he's washed his hands of the movie. And he's like, best of luck to you. <laughs> and that's it. That's the only word that you get from the guy. There's another way you could have done this. You could have done it almost in a mocking way. Where, eh, this isn't a very good movie. It's not complete. We can kind of make it whatever we want it to be. We could we could make it make even less sense. We could make the stupidest version of this movie and, you know, whatever. You don't do that. You actually try to put together the movie in a coherent way. I could see this going a different way, and I, I was really grateful that you actually tried to make a movie out of this. It's an actual film now. Yeah. Well, I, I think it really comes down to Vinegar Syndrome being a preservation company. I mean, mm. that was a, a big part of it. Like, we... So 
it's really hard to explain this because like for anybody who's seen it you know it's a silly campy over-the-top film and so for us to say we took it seriously it, it's like it makes people go like well like how how did how did you take it seriously <laughs> yeah but it's because we didn't do exactly what you just said which is take it farther than it already was it it would be so easy to add in more jokes or add in funnier dialogue and and make it you know this really tongue-in-cheek kung pao type of film right and to to us like we just weren't going to do that because we're vinegar syndrome you know and so we took it from a serious standpoint from the very beginning and but we knew exactly what it was so like we we had the benefit of being um you know, a modern audience where we know what plays well these days. And these fun, campy movies, especially from the 80s, have this like charm to them. Yeah. And um, so so we knew that, but we knew that the only way to make it work was take it seriously and let whatever humor or campiness or whatever just come out organically. Don't try to force it in any way. So and what I've told everybody is that the way I approach this was basically I imagined myself in the 80s. Um, sorry, I don't know if there's a fire truck going by. I don't know if you can hear that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, vinegar. So I'm in the vinegar syndrome building. We are right next to a. We are between a fire department and a police department. Yeah. Which so it, so am I here. So we'll see if I can get one coming my way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're in a, we're safe, but every one of these. Anytime I'm ever doing any kind of Zoom call or anything, there's always a fire truck or something going by. Anyway, um, yeah, so uh, we, uh, yeah, so I imagined myself just working for a company sort of like Vinegar Syndrome in the 80s, you know, uh, like a small studio or something, uh, you yeah. know, uh, an independent place. And I just imagine if they brought me this movie, like as an editor, and were like, hey, listen, the budget. You know, we're out of money, but we've got to release this. You've got to figure out how to make it work. I just took it from that standpoint. And so I just said, okay, I'm going to put myself in a mind frame where I'm just going to try to make the best possible movie I can out of this. Because all of these movies, like if you, whether it's like a movie like Miami Connection or Samurai Copper, like one of those types of movies, those guys were going out to make a serious film. Right. Now, whether or not you find it serious. <laughs> That's eye of the beholder, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, but that's what gives these movies so much charm these days. Is people love them for that. And so, and again, I we have the benefit of being a modern audience and knowing that. So I just was like, okay, I'm just going to imagine that this is just this badass ninja movie, and I'm going to do my best with it to make it as badass as I can, and then just let it be what it's going to be after that. So, Well, I, I appreciate that because as a movie reviewer and, and film critic kind of guy, you know, an occult movie fan, uh, you know, sometimes people think, oh, you should do this. You should cover these movies. You should review these movies because they're, they're bad. You like bad movies. And it's like, now nah, they're missing whatever it is, it'd be it a Sharknado or whatever. They're missing some of that, the, the, the charm of a movie like a Don't Panic, a New York Ninja, a Miami Connection, a Samurai Cop. It's the earnestness. You know, it is, it's, they, these movies were maybe partially made cynically because they were trying to cash in on an action genre and the home video market or whatever. But at the same time, these were aspiring filmmakers 
who didn't have money, skill, whatever the case may be, but there was an earnestness. And somehow you have retained that organic earnestness that makes the movie inadvertently more funny. Camp that's intentional camp isn't actually camp. You know, it's some it's spoof. This is not a spoof of a 80s exploitation ninja movie or martial arts film or a violent, gory, nudity-filled CIA radioactive masturbator movie. This is not that. This is and this was an earnest film that does feel slapdash, that does feel like, especially the action sequences were sort of like get 10 guys to surround the one guy who does martial arts and have him just figure it out on the fly. Um, but you capture that so well that I think this project is a success if for no other reason than that. You did it. You you didn't make a movie making fun of itself. The movie does not have a hint of self-awareness in the edit or anything like that. It is, it is as true to what I imagine it would probably would have been edited like. And it's pretty amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into at the beginning. Like, honestly, like I presented this to the owners and they greenlit it before we even saw a single frame of film. Wow. So, so, I mean, obviously we could have kind of, you know, jumped off the train at any point in time if it wasn't really going to work, you know, but they, they said, okay, yeah, let, if you think you can do this, let's scan it. Let's see what we have. And if we, if you can turn this into a movie, like do it, you know? And so we, the, the train was already in motion at that point, but then when we started to see the footage, that's when it, that's really where it all changed. Because honestly, like I thought in my head before I even saw any of the film, I was just hoping that it was like a vigilante, like ninja movie yeah. in New York. And I assumed that it was going to be kind of boring in places and that I might have to liven it up a little bit, not necessarily in like a comical sense, but try to figure out how to make it work. This was like my thought before even going in was like, man, I hope it's like either explo exploitative enough or violent enough. I hope there's something to latch on to. And it's not just this boring movie that I'm not going to be able to work with. And then I started seeing the footage and every scene was if you've seen the movie, you know, every single scene has a what the fuck moment going on in it. And yes. I was like, I, I was like, oh, my God, like this is this is literal gold. Like we have unearthed literal gold here. <laughs> so in, in my head, I had already gone in with the idea of like, you know, sort of treating it as a restoration preservation project but and and you know when i saw the footage i was like okay we play this thing straight and we let it be what it's gonna be and you know brad and i had numerous conversations about this the owners here at vinegar syndrome we had numerous conversations about this we talked to the actors about this the sound design everybody was like listen we know what it is play it straight and you know there's definitely some parts where the punks like you know they they camp it up the voice actors and, stuff, and that's all fine but yeah it was really just like we, we just couldn't believe it i mean and and you you can't create that like if you go out or so you can't recreate that is what i guess yeah. i would say so there are a lot of guys that go out nowadays and they try to make a cult film and when you try to make a cult film it shows and like this just is not just because of the story i mean the story kind of elevates it to cult status in terms of the 
restoration and all that. But there is such an, like you said, an earnestness to it where these guys were trying to make a good movie. And, you know, I think they were trying to kind of do a bit of a comic book type style. Yeah. You know, I think that, that there's definitely some intentional humor, I think, in there, too, that they had planned. But they were going out trying to make a good movie and it shows and like retaining that is the only way to make it work. So for me, the only thing I could do is, you know, work with that same mind frame of like, okay, we're going to make this the best damn movie it's going to be, you know, Brad, when you see this thing assembled near completion for the first time, what are your thoughts? Are you like, Curtis is a genius. What do you, <laughs> do you uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can answer very quickly that Curtis is a genius, 100%. Um, but yeah, so so my, my history with it was trying to find John Liu, and that was like probably around August um, that that I had that phone call, and I you know, spent a few months doing it, and then I was in Connecticut um, kind of uh, in December of that year. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I went up there to, you know, to work and we had our, you know, Black Friday stuff and, and things like that. And uh, Curtis pulls me aside and he says, hey, you want to see some clips of New York Ninja? And I was like, well, fuck, yeah, I do. You know, I, I, don't, I haven't seen anything just yet. So he just he just has like, I mean, he's still in the editing process. I mean, it's it's far from, you know, kind of uh, I mean, all the all the elements are scanned at this point is basically assembling um everything trying to figure out the pattern of this movie without really uh you know a script or anything so i mean he he shows me the scene with a plutonium killer like putting his hands like in the in the like briefcase and charging up and um <laughs> he showed me a couple of the fight scenes the rooftop fight scene the ninja on roller skates and <laughs> being uh dragged and doing the flip in the car and i'm just like <laughs> What is this? What is you know? this? Like, holy shit. <laughs> so, yeah, sort of like that That following year, um, you know, after I got back, that's when, you know, uh, we were having those conversations about, you know, finishing finishing the movie. Uh, I mean, it was always those conversations, but it was, uh, was kind of like, uh, well, how do we go about it? Um, you know, Curtis is obviously editing the thing, and um, I said, well, I, I'd be happy to help out and, you know, produce it or, or whatever it needs to be. I, I've always been kind of a go-getter in making things happen and recruiting things and getting people what they need, um, what a producer does, obviously. Um, so I was I was very excited. And, you know, yeah, we had conversations in-house beforehand. And I, I just, I always said, um, not that it was ever a discussion or an argument, but I was always like, it needs to be played straight, like hundred yeah. percent. Like I, because there's a couple things that I don't really care for in this world, and that is uh, riff tracks and mystery science theater. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not a fan of those things because I, I, I don't like, I don't like that aspect of things, and I didn't want this. The only version of this movie to be out there would be, you know, a, a comedy of sorts. Yeah, right. And um, the, the comedy plays itself. You know, it's 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 in the it's in the picture. So, yeah, Curtis, uh, everybody we spoke to, we said, we know that you're going to laugh. We know it's ridiculous, but we have we're, you know, play it straight. I mean, even when we were doing kind of um, the meetings with the actors, um, we, we were saying, like, we know, like, you know, when when you read this, it, it's, it's played straight. You're going to look at it and probably laugh. And 
you know, we want you to have a good time, but it, it's played completely straight. Um, yeah, and that was kind of the the overall thing. Um, I uh, my first time seeing it, as far as it was uh, kind of a, a rough edit we had, which was uh, probably what, about like an hour and forty five minutes. Curtis was like the first the the first like yeah, uh, it was about the ten first minutes. like hard edit, um, and it was silent. I mean, we, we had no sound, no nothing. And Curtis uh, sent it to me, and I watched it, and I had notes, and I even I had notes, even though there was no dialogue <laughs> or, or sound. I was like, "Yeah, we need to cut this like out." Like a true producer. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but Curtis and I, I mean, we never we never butted heads once on the project. We 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 you know we work incredibly well together, and and understand. I mean, we we were both in it for the same like end end result. Um, but we were very nervous uh, when we were doing it because we're really, I mean, it's, it, it's vinegar syndrome as a whole, putting this together, but really like the only people that were like <laughs> actively seeing and, and working and getting structuring this thing together was myself and Curtis. And then, you know, obviously we would report to everybody else and, you know, there was always eyes on it. It's not like we were unsupervised or anything, but it felt like that at times. Like we were just uh, like, okay, I guess they trust us to, to do this. And let's go ahead and do it. Um, so, you know, we were, you know, recruited the actors, everything like that. And uh, I mean, the whole time, I mean, we're questioning, is it going to work? Like, is it going to be good? Um, and I think uh, it was a clip of Cynthia did her uh, voiceover work and it had some of the sound design to it. And Curtis sent me a clip. It was like 30 seconds. And I was like, oh, shit, this 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 actually might work. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was just nerve wracking the whole time. E each cut that we saw, um, you know, eventually we got it, you know, trimmed down um, to what it, the running time is now after numerous conversations and edits that we did. Um, not wanting to overstay our welcome, of course, with it not dragging on the, the joke too long, even though we're not doing a joke in the movie. Right. Um, but yeah, it was just, uh, you know, I, I saw the final cut and I, I mean, I was really proud of it. I was very, very proud of Curtis. Cause I mean, he, he's, he, he's the one that really kind of, I mean, he just, you know, God behind the, the computer <laughs> there, putting, putting the film together. Um, and then honestly, like a lot of credit to three beep who did, who did the, um, sound design because I mean, Every every like I said, every footstep, every car horn that you, any background noise you hear, I mean, everything is constructed. Well, every the single sound. The thing about know? the sound design, I was going to get to this, is it doesn't sound like this is all new ADR. This is all new looping. This is all new foley. This is all new everything. You could have just put that on top of an old movie and been like, here you go, like like a bad kung fu dub. You didn't do it. It's synced perfectly, and also the sound design, it's degraded, and it sounds exactly as it would have if you had up-converted <laughs> an old movie to Blu-ray quality. Again, this is, I don't, I'm not trying to just blow smoke up your guys' ass, but it's like a work of genius. <laughs> your crew, you guys, you, you did it. That's why I wanted to talk to you, because this could have gone wrong 50 different fucking ways and it didn't and you guys just like this there was a narrow path to take and you guys took it every step of the way 
Yeah, that that was really like Brad said. It was actually relatively nerve wracking because at any point in time it could have gone wrong, and we yeah. we we felt that <laughs> like. <clears throat> Um, I, I really, and Brad had already mentioned it, but I, I have to give a lot of credit to three beep three beep is a company out of New York. Um, they did all of the sound design and they helped a lot with the dubbing, um, in terms of, uh, they did a lot of the punks and the ancillary characters. They, they're known for dubbing, um, foreign films here in America. Wow. And uh, the good thing was, is a lot of the guys who worked there, they have an understanding of this stuff. So when I was working with the guys who were doing the sound design, it was the same thing. It was like, we had these conversations like, okay, how are we playing the sound? And it's like, it's got to match the eighties, you know? So luckily, you know, some of the sound effects that they had access to were stuff that was older. They definitely foleyed some stuff. Um, on the Blu-ray disc, and and a, a lot of people don't know this, it's not something like we made a huge deal out of, but there's two audio tracks on the Blu-ray disc. One is the stereo 2.0, but the other is the mono. Wow. Uh, I the have mono, the Blu-ray. I didn't even know that. Yeah, so the mono, we actually laid off to tape and then brought back in so we would have <laughs> that like mono sound. So um, my my fiance works at a, at a recording studio, and so they had uh, like reel to reel tape machines. So we we actually recorded it. Uh, we we took the digital file, laid it off the tape, and then took the tape file and laid it back off the digital. So you can re- if you really want that like kind of grindhouse vibe to it, you can watch it with the mono track. Well, Brad is such a huge presence on Twitter in the exploitation movie world. He's always talking about, I'm watching these 15 movies tonight, you know, and it's stuff you've heard of and stuff you haven't heard of. And then, you know, and you're all over the documentary for the Blu-ray, Curtis. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta, I didn't think I could get you. It was Brad's idea. I was like, you gotta have Curtis on. I was like, I gotta get somebody on to talk about this because (laughs) it's, I've watched a lot of this stuff and the care that you guys went to, to recreate this uh the cast that you got i'm sitting there you know the plutonium man like i I, i'm in a weird position because i want to talk to you about every fucking subplot that's in this movie the tonal shifts between where it ends like you guys said almost like a family-friendly comic book movie but it's also horrifically violent there's also really dope action sequences this motherfucker's hanging from a helicopter (laughs) you're like i thought he was gonna die during the helicopter sequence i'm like I, what the fuck? And then the obviously the the roller skates and the the you know him sliding into the trunk on a f- piece of fucking car and all this stuff. But then at the same time, I know not a lot of people have seen it yet uh, necessarily because you know you have to buy the Blu-ray and it's a blind buy. So I'm like, I don't want to steal away the magic that is the movie because I had the perfect what the fuck cult movie experience watching this. I watched it. I laughed. And by the end I had a migraine because I didn't understand what the fuck I was watching. I was like, what is this? And that's that best. Still? <laughs> still, yeah. And you know, the, the I just, so I, I don't want to spoil it, but I will get into this. The cast you have for this. You have Cynthia Rothrock, Michael Berryman, and like 50 other B-movie slash genre movie Hall of Famers 
who decide to do this. Drop some names of who is in this movie doing the dubbing. And either one of you can answer this. How eager were they to jump on a project like this? Because this is almost like just for you guys, for me as an audience member and a podcaster. And it's like a once in a lifetime deal. This is, this is, this is nuts. This is like the only one of its kind in history, I think. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I can't speak for the actors, but I think each one had a different experience of uh, when we contacted them, what we were actually doing. Mm. Uh, You know, it it didn't really come full circle on some people. I don't think at first, Um, you know, uh, but yeah, we, we had those discussions of, of who we wanted. You know, we had a list of, you know, numerous people for each character, uh, you know, just would see what would fit uh, best. And, um, you know, some people got it like right away. Um, Others, I I don't know, maybe they thought it was a little too jokey when they were seeing the footage. Mm. Um, But I mean, they all did a wonderful job. Yeah. But I I think it was really kind of the the turn of events um, was probably in the recording studio when they started seeing the footage. Because when we were prepping them on everything, we had a lost movie, they were dubbing, uh, you know, Cynthia uh, obviously was used to this um, with her own work, you know, dubbing herself. She's amazing in this <laughs> movie, know? though. She's um, amazing. Yeah, so she she had experience. So she was, she was comfortable, you know, she, she was ready to go. Uh, but I just don't think she knew <laughs> kind of what we, you know, the movie <laughs> itself. Um, you know, Don yeah. was pretty comfortable, you know, because he did a little bit. He's done some video games and oh. stuff like that. Um, you know, so oh, every actor kind of had a, what is that? Yeah. Hold on a second. I'm yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'm leaving that. Okay, no, okay. <laughs> yeah. so, there's still, so, there's still people in the building. So <laughs> I'm leaving it in. <laughs> yeah. so, so everybody kind of had a different approach and, and a different thing. And Curtis can speak on behalf because, you know, he was kind of there virtually uh with because we also did a lot of this during the pandemic where Mm. the the we had uh basically curtis remotely in connecticut we had three beep in new york and then we had the talent go to a nearby recording studio to do lines Uh, we don't really focus too much of that in the documentary but that's kind of how these were set up and it was very 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 tough uh in order to do that but well, were That's you guys, Curtis, story. were you, were you directing the actors at all? Was that, did that fall on your shoulders as well? Uh, a little bit. So yes, I was there for most of the recording sessions. I wasn't there for like the ancillary characters and the punks and all that. Um, uh, that was all handled by three beep. Um, but yeah, when we were doing these remote sessions, so like the main talent, so there's about like, I would say eight what I would say like main talent. So like Don, the dragon, Cynthia, Leon, Leon, Isaac Kennedy, Linnea Quigley, you know, you could check the credits. Um, I was in for all of those sessions and all of those people we cast because they were in other uh, vinegar syndrome movies that we had released. So Mm -hmm. that was something that we had talked about early on is that we wanted to cast from within the like vinegar syndrome universe. Um, each of them, like Brad was just saying, kind of approached the project differently. Um, I think Don, Don 
basically said yes because he's never done anything like that before you know and like cynthia kind of said yes because she's done dubbing before and she likes to work with Don. So if Don said yes, she said yes. You know, it's kind of like one of those things. Mm-hmm. L- Linnea, she's, you, we've put out a bunch of her movies. So we already had like a connection with her and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So everybody had their own, you know, reason for becoming involved in the, in the movie. But yeah, when we were doing, so I was, I would be remotely connected to all of these. So like I could see the video of, um, like they could see the movie, we could all see the movie, and then um, I could, sometimes I could see them in the booth. Sometimes I could only just hear them, and we all just like worked as a team. So there would be like the engineer and the sound studio where they were recording, and then I would be linked up with Three Beep, and they were very helpful in the dubbing because it's just not something I've really done before. So I wrote the dialogue to try to match like sort of the best that I could. If I could read the lips, I used what was there. If not, I used what I needed to get across the information that I needed to get across and try to match the syllables at least close enough. Um, But yeah, it was so it was definitely like a a, a joint effort. Um, A lot of the direction really just came from speaking to them prior. And then when we were in the booth, it's actually really hard to sort of get a performance when you're trying to like match the timing and match what's going on on the screen. Mm. And um, so, you know, sometimes the direction really just kind of came down to timing and like making it work. And that's why I think it's an interesting project for the actors because it's, it's actually really tough to do that. Um, So yeah, there was a a level of direction. It was, it was definitely a joint effort between myself and, and three beep. And, you know, they were very helpful with that. And then, you know, at the end of the day, if like something went a little too far, you know, that's where I would kind of come in and be like, no, let's like bring it back or like, actually let's go a little farther or whatever. And then, you know, really in the edit was where the, a lot of the final decisions were made, you know, basically by me where I'd be like, okay, that's too much. Let's kind of bring that back. And it's like, okay, that's funny. We can keep that and push that a little farther you know stuff like that so the plutonium guy <laughs> okay the plutonium killer i don't want to spoil anything i don't know that i could if we even tried to describe it verbally but that performance not, without the audio is so bizarre <laughs> it, his his entree into the movie everything about that plot is so strange the 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 darts the <laughs> The limousine, the trafficking, the eroticism, the bizarre sex scene with the guy's real life girlfriend, the every it just all seemingly comes out of nowhere as if it's been lifted from a different movie and added into this one. When you're going through the footage and you're seeing that stuff for the first time, do you feel like you got the reels mixed up? You're like, wait a minute, what the fuck is this? Is this like did did they is this from a different movie? <laughs> uh I mean to be honest, I felt like that a lot. It's not just with the plutonium killer. There were definitely times where I was like, is this is this from the same movie? Uh, you know. Um because that's not a yeah. performance that you could be like, well, you better tone that down because the guy delivering the performance, the mouth, his enunciation in certain scenes, like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Yeah. So, well, as t- as time has gone on, I don't we could get this could be a huge conversation, so I won't go too deep into this. But as t- as time has gone on, we've actually are starting to learn about who some of these actors were because wow. we had no cat 
cast sheet or anything like that. And this we're still putting stuff together. Now that the movie's out and people are finding out, people are coming to us and being like, oh, my God, I worked on that movie in the 80s. Like, wow. So we're starting to find out some more information and we're starting to learn. We don't know who the plutonium killer is yet, but we know that he was part of like a martial arts theater group. And a lot of these guys were all cast from that. So, you know, maybe that explains some of these like big performances or whatever. <laughs> you know, they they weren't really actors. A yeah, lot of right. them, you know, um, uh, the uh, the reporter, uh, Adrian Meltzer, uh, who played she played the original uh, uh, character. She was actually a reporter and that's how she got cast for the role. So, yeah, she's in the behind. The, you guys got in touch with yeah. her and Brad. You, I think maybe you yeah. talked to her or somebody talked to her and she's in the behind the scenes stuff and she seemed like a very sweet lady who was like why am i yeah. like i was in this movie <laughs> yeah well she she actually she came to the world premiere of it wow yeah, yeah she's like yeah, a yeah, good so, soul yeah yeah we had our world premiere in uh at beyond fest in la back in october and uh yeah we had leon isaac kennedy cynthia rothrock don the dragon wilson and adrian Meltzer come out. Um, but yeah, no, Adrian was, uh, you know, she, she shed some light on it. I think she was just about as confused as we were. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, just even talking to her in the beginning, I mean, she thought this was a total joke, you know, um, she, she didn't know we were serious. Wow. It, it, took, it took, uh, it took a long time, like maybe about nine months of talking to her and easing her into that. We're not here to make fun of her. Like this is a real thing. Yeah. And it wasn't until probably after she saw the movie, she embraced it and realized that we, you know, we aren't completely full of shit. Uh, <laughs> well, you have to imagine, right? You're, you're a real life newscaster. You have a real career. You're doing different stuff. You're relatively young. You know, you're just kind of, you know, you're building your life. You, you take a, a risk you do this thing it completely falls on its ass falls its face it's never released it never sees the light of day it's like a weird memory that you have that you probably don't talk very much about and out of the blue yeah. some guy in florida is like hey remember that thing you did that we're do we're finishing it and we're gonna put it out on blu-ray and we're gonna do custom artwork for it and my buddy curtis he's we're dubbing with like legit actors and we're this is we're gonna have a world premiere we're gonna do all this sort of stuff you'd have to think like either i'm this is a scam or yeah it's gonna make fun of me or it could potentially bring up like an embarrassing moment of my career so the fact that you guys were able to earn her trust and that you played it the way that you did which is you're not mocking anybody or anything you're not mocking john lou this is you tried to work with him you wanted to have him and you wanted his involvement yeah, well, a, a big part of that is, you know, just honestly, just that I would consider it a uh, a necessary skill set of being a human being. Uh, <laughs> because, I mean, yeah. I, I'm used to it because we release a lot of movies where people only were in that movie. So yeah. when we call them up for interviews, they're really taken back. You know, I get all types of responses, either than don't call me ever again to why are you doing this? Um, you know, and it's and it really is just earning everybody's trust because sometimes they think we're here to make fun of them or make fun of the project. Yeah. Um, and they just don't want it brought up again. Um, and th 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 that's just kind of the nature of it. And, you know, it's 
I, I never gave up on Adrian. Um, you know, I wanted to get her trust and I'm happy we did. I mean, you know, she saw the final product and it was kind of neat because everybody that was there, the, the, the four of them, Don, Leon and Cynthia, it was the first time of them seeing anything. So they went in and they read for these lines. It's not like they watched the entire movie. You know, mm. they went in and they read for these lines. It probably was very weird uh, for them. Maybe it's not so much for Don because Don saw a lot of it. Uh, but, you know, we actually got a nice kind of uh, when Leon Isaac Kennedy was on stage, he, he said, you know, he was very kind and, you know, he was he was very impressed with what we did. And, um, you know, just just kind of taking the time and effort uh, to do this. And, and like I said, play it straight and just all in all. I mean, all we wanted to do is be respectful um, of it, even though it is zany and kooky and silly. Um, you know, it, it was about approaching the project. And I, I, I think I, when I was talking to Curtis and, you know, Curtis said this earlier, as I just, I reiterated probably every conversation that we had with everybody is that we're making a movie in 1984. Mm. You know, we are making this in 1984. That's, that's how you have to project your mind that we're here to do it. No one sets out to make a bad movie. Right. You know, that'd be stupid. Well, you know, and the, and, and the uh, people that do, it's like Curtis was saying, it's not funny. No, they're, it's a, they're, it's they're, a waste of terrible. time. And I, I don't like this thing. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, so, you know, when, when Adrian, you know, ap- after having conversations with her, and I think that we sent her a copy, like a, a link to see the movie, you know, um, and she kind of wanted to do that before her interview because she was, she was very standoffish, not in a negative uh, sense. She was very standoffish about participating because of that. And I understood that. Oh, and yeah. that's why I kind of held her hand the entire time. And, you know, it really gained her trust. And then, you know, she she loved what we did. Um, so, yeah, no, it's it was it's kind of a, a <laughs> it's a weird project. But, you know, Curtis and I, I know that evening that we were there at Beyond Fest, uh, you know, we had a lot of things going on because the talent was there and, you know, wanting to make sure everything was all set. But I was just, I know Curtis was, he sat in the very back. I was a ball of nerves. Um, you know, I was distracting myself with other things, uh, you know, trying to make Cynthia was okay. Adrian was okay. Everybody was, you know, had their seat. Uh, but when I sat down, I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like, are people actually going to enjoy this? And honestly, it was probably one of the best, uh, theater experiences uh, for me, you know, I'm sure Curtis too, because we're watching something that we, you know, worked two years on or, or even longer, really. Um, you know, that was kind of 37 years in the making. Mm. And um, yeah, it was just, it was just a surreal experience and, and knowing that people got it and, and that we actually had people laughing with us, mm. I think was, 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 uh, one of the most gratifying like things I've ever experienced because I, we did, we didn't know how people were going to take it. You know, were we assholes for making this thing? Like, was it funny? Like, did we do a good job? You know, who knows? And, and honestly, it just every, every, and, and plus even after that, even after the theatrical experience, when it came out, it was just like every single like week, something else was happening with it. Mm. Someone else was watching it. You know, Red Letter Media did a wonderful video, you know, kind of spotlighting the film and 
and gave it a lot of attention. And, you know, they, they, they praised us for our work and, um, yeah, it's just, it's just been a kind of a wild journey and very, very thankful for anybody who watches it. You know, you, the company is called vinegar syndrome. You're putting out, as Curtis said, a lot of movies with sex and violence, but your entire approach is to not be sleazy. That the movies may have sleaze in them, but you're not sleazy guys, or it's not a sleazy business. You're just trying to preserve films. And the spirit of that is in this project. Curtis, when you're at that premiere, the world premiere at Beyond Fest, you've recreated this thing. You see the reaction. Take me to that night. What was your experience as the redirector and rewriter of New York Ninja? Oh, man. I. I was like Brad was saying, he was cutting out a little bit there where he was talking, but he was um, he was a ball of nerves. But I, I was a ball of nerves mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I had a lot of faith in the fact that it was going to play well, but you just never know. You're like, is this going to work? Are people really going to appreciate the, all the hard work that went into it? Because like you said, it could have failed at any point in time. So um i was just like man i hope this all came together i hope people really like it i the the, the day of especially you know we were out in la and um i don't even know eat. yeah i don't know i didn't know i don't think i ate like all day i was just I like, walked like 10, 20 miles because i didn't i couldn't sit down because <laughs> i know it like i was talking to curtis like we woke up at nine o'clock and we're like well we can't do anything right now because <laughs> the premiere is at 7 p.m we're gonna be late yeah. you know we can't eat anything we can't go anywhere because we're gonna be late <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, he's right. Like my, my fiance, she was with me and we were like, she's like, Oh, you want to go down? Cause we were in Santa Monica. She's like, you want to go down to the pier? And I'm like checking my watch. And she's like, honey, it's like 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, yeah, I know. But the premiere is at seven. I don't want to go too far. So, um, yeah, so I, you know, I was, I was a ball of nerves, but as soon as the movie started playing, honestly, it, it went it went really well because that, that first opening scene without saying too much, uh, a lot happens in that first, yes. uh, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a roller coaster in that first two minutes. Yeah. And, uh, yep. and it, it really sets up the vibe of the movie. So I'm always like, if, if people respond well in these first two minutes, be if like there's, if they laugh and they cheer and they get excited in those first two minutes, I know like we're good. You and got that's them. the exact, yeah. yeah, that's the exact reaction that we got. And, you know, I'm just, as I was watching it, I'm like, I'm like, okay, how's this scene going to play out? Okay, how's this scene going <laughs> to play out? And, you know, they kept getting better and better. And what's actually really great is now that not only have I, did I watch it at, at, with the audience at Beyond Fest, but it's doing its theatrical tour now. It's doing, uh, there's a, we did a 35 millimeter print. And so it's doing, wow. you know, the print is, is doing a, a theatrical run and I've tried to go out to as many as I can to do like Q and A's and to see. So I've seen it with uh, a crowd now a number of times and it, it's always exciting to be honest, like watching the crowd react to these moments. And there's been moments that like when I was working on them, I was like, uh, you know, I was just I edited the scene and I didn't know how it was going to play. And there's things that like people laugh at that. I was like, oh, I guess that is kind of funny. Like I'm actually yeah, yeah. I'm actually appreciating things that I didn't appreciate before. Um, and and, and I've, I laugh in the theater, too. Like I've seen this thing like literally hundreds of times. Many times. Wow. Oh and, but like I, I just this past weekend, I was at a screening and sitting in the audience, I was laughing, too, because you can't not enjoy it. 
you know, and I, I that's really the best part about it is like the excitement and the joy that it's like bringing to people is yeah. like it makes it really all worth it. So where's the road show going? Where can people find information to see if it's coming to a town near them? Um, that is a good question. Well, I mean, for, for now, like there is the Blu-ray that's available on vinegar syndrome.com. Um, the, the, the road show for the most part is relegated to the U S and Canada okay. right now. And we're, we're trying to get up. It, it, so one of the problems is with COVID, yeah. there was a lot of theaters that were like, let's see what happens. And now it's really starting to kind of explode. So hopefully we can get more of those dates up on vinegar syndrome.com. So I definitely, uh, keep an eye on that. Um, well, if you're but, in my I neck mean, of the woods, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to bring people with that? me. I'd love to meet you in person and shake your hand because yeah. you just you did a work of genius on this movie that was just rotted away somewhere in a in a film can. And it's just amazing. Do you guys have any upcoming projects whatsoever at Vinegar Syndrome you're excited about that you would uh, care to break here on binge movies or or just say, hey, this is what something we've got something in the works. Check the website whatever uh what's what's something you can we have a ton of stuff in the works but we're not gonna we're not gonna tell you <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh you just big time me on my own show that's very nice <laughs> you gotta give me something well, what are you excited about I, well I, I i did want to butt in with one thing that we haven't discussed yet is uh you know we kind of hinted at it, it, it touched on everything but a, but a huge a huge thing that i was very nervous about with this movie and curtis can probably tell you after the sirens and yep. fire <laughs> Um, and I, I, I had this conversation with many times and, and Curtis just kept on, I, I think he was just like, you know, it's fine. Like it's, it's going to be okay. It was a soundtrack, you know, mm. Voyager was, was the guys that came in to, to do the soundtrack. And I was, I was very particular about the soundtrack because I hate this kind of new, everybody does synth thing. And we want to make our movie sound like a John Carpenter score. and. And, and whatever um i was very particular about it and you know curtis is the one that set all that up uh with the band and um and and they they just did a, a great job because they hit at a moment all through the film where for me even though i'm very <laughs> I, i'm very critical when it comes to soundtracks for movies especially these ones today because i get a little irritated with with certain things that I hear. Uh, they nailed it so well mm. of keeping it to the point where there is kind of like, um, kind of a nuance. It, it, it feels that it's created for the movie, but also at the same time, it feels certain tracks might have been discovered with the movie. Um, it, those guys just knocked it clear out of the park, and 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 really. What they did is, you know, with, with Curtis with the edit, with, with him writing the script, that's one thing. With the voice actors nailing it and Reby doing their thing, like everything was falling into place. And then Voyager just come in and kind of elevated, I think, the movie. It, it, their score just elevates it to another level. Um, and it's just something I, I, I was so proud to hear. And, and uh, honestly, I, I just couldn't believe it. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a soundtrack and, and Curtis can probably attest to this. I, I said, we need music that you can listen to without watching the movie. Like, mm -hmm. I want to be able to want to listen to this with, without actually playing the movie. I want memorable, uh, 
songs. I, I, I want something. And yeah, there's there's so many catchy tunes uh, in in that score. Um, and they just they just did a wonderful job. I mean, honestly, they, they like I said, they elevated the movie. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I definitely want to give a shout out to Voyager Three. If you don't know who they are, definitely look them up. Their music is incredible. Um, they went above and beyond for this, and they approached it the same exact way that we did. You know, uh, again, like Brad was saying, there's a lot of bands out out there nowadays that are doing these sort of like um, synth rock kind of albums where they're mm-hmm. sort of making like fake soundtracks at movie to movies that don't exist and uh some of them are good some of them aren't as good but like first of all voyager 3 is great but like they were they were excited because they got to do exactly what we got to do which is basically go back in time and actually they were able to do a score for an 80s movie like how many of these bands can really say that so they did a they did a killer job um and i do want to say for the people that have seen the movie there's a little rap song at the yes. end of the credits <laughs> and most people yes yeah, so most people don't know this but that was actually originally created for the movie the the rapper bronx style bob was commissioned in the 80s prior to the movie being shot to do a rap song holy and shit and yeah, that is that was really made for New York Ninja, and we didn't find that out till later. We um, Michael Gingold was helping us with trying to uncover some of the stuff from behind the scenes, and he was the one who able, who he called us one day and was like, "Did you know there's an original theme?" And we're like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "There's a rapper named Bronx Style Bob that was hired to do the to do a song, and we were able to get a copy of it." And I was like, "Oh my god, this has to go in the credits." So, uh, yeah, the the music is just killer and really brings the whole movie together. So, wow. Voyager Three, check them out. What an amazing story, Brad! Big time me on my own podcast. Now it's time for me to big time Brad and Curtis on my own podcast. I want you guys to individually name for me your top five cult or genre movies of all time that vinegar syndrome doesn't sell uh let's brad let's start with you uh give me five cult or genre oh, films you didn't uh, you just you didn't do that you just put us on the fucking spot now curtis gets a second <laughs> i'll talk longer so curtis actually can think of five um you know some stuff that i i really like um you know i i i enjoy watching movies and having a good time like i like to have a good time with billy movies uh, and I don't I don't want to sit there and make fun of them. But some that I really love is like Doom Asylum. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of Doom Asylum. because It's so zany and, and, and weird. And um, I even created a drinking game one time to that. And you'll get trashed <laughs> in 30 minutes. Um, you know, Slaughter High is a huge, a huge influence uh, for me. I, 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 that's actually one of the films that got me into screenwriting i became good friends with mark ezra when i was like 13 writing to him and <laughs> wow. him how much i love water high and i wrote a script and he like read it and gave me notes and uh, you know i got to meet george dugdale when <laughs> doing that so, yeah, slaughter high is a big one for me um i was talking about this earlier uh yesterday or something is uh jeff lieberman's just before dawn mm. I, I think it's just an incredible frightening movie um, you know, it has one of the best killer reveals where you think there's just one guy that 
Because it always in like Friday the 13th and Halloween, like Jason's here and then he just appears and he's walking, but he's somehow in the, uh, the, the building with you. And there's that moment in Just Before Dawn when they're on the bridge and you're like, wait a second, is he supernatural? Then you find out that there's two fucking killers. Um, you know, spoiler alert, I guess. It, it, just before Dawn. it, is, it is like 45 years old. Um, you know, in, in the score that Brad Fidel does in that, mm. it's just it's magnificent. In which that's a serious horror film when the other two are kind of, uh, you know, uh, silly. Um, uh, Phantom of the Mall is another one. I, I think it's a, it's a great project, even though it, it didn't turn out the way it was supposed to, mm. as far as being a more serious uh, film. And then obviously, um, uh, Oh man, I forget his name. Char- Char- uh, Charlie uh, uh, Fries kind of took over the project and kind of reassembled, and they took out parts of the movie. The original script is killer to that film, um, but I, I still enjoy it because we get to kind of root for a slasher in a way. Uh, the bad guy um, is that four? I need another one. Yeah, one more. <laughs> uh, my, 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 and this would probably go to my all time one of my all time favorite horror films is uh messiah of evil oh wow i think, I think it's one of the the, the best uh, it's it's incredibly well photographed it's a beautiful film it's scary it it has a lot of unnerving moments the performances are great uh stephen katz who who shot it who also shot the blues brothers and uh if you want to purchase uh our film sister sister that we just put out stephen katz also shot that um just a, an amazing cinematographer um, and just a powerhouse of talent behind that movie, but um, yeah, just it's it's incredibly eerie, and and um, it's it's one of the very first horror films that I saw when I was younger. I would say in the like the first hundred, uh, but that one stood out the most because I was genuinely frightened by wow. it. At, you know, probably when I was like seven or something. Um, like a true yeah, like a true producer, fun. you still snuck a plug in for Vinegar Syndrome. I that didn't get past me. I heard it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's one of my favorite movies. Even Stephen Katz is like literally like one of the best cinematographers in in that era, and everything that he shot um, is just beautiful. Is is framing his lighting, and Sister Sister is a beautiful gothic movie. So Curtis, you've had extra time here. Now you got now you got to work in at least two plugs. We got to we got to do it. You got to do it uh, more stealthily than Brad did there. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, all right, so I'll start. I mean, there's, it's like that's like the most loaded question I've ever heard. Uh, it's it's almost like, what's your favorite movie? It's like, uh, I don't know. How long do you have? You know? Um, yeah, I so uh, I'm, I'm a kung fu fan. Uh, probably one of my all-time favorites is Master of the Flying Guillotine, uh-huh. So, which you can't mention without – the one-armed boxer because it's basically mm. you know almost the same it's a it's a sequel to one-armed boxer they basically kind of go together so like those are two of my favorite just kung fu movies because they're so wacky and uh like kind of over the top um and so i'm gonna put those two together as one so i don't cheat um i know i already mentioned it but the secret rivals is just 
one of my all-time favorite kung fu movies. It's it's what got me into John Liu, and it's it's really one of those movies that actually really started to get me to appreciate martial arts because for anybody who's seen it like the fight at the end um there's like two guys fighting the main bad guy one of them being john lu and it's like one of them uses punches and john lu uses kicks because that's what he's good at and uh the end fight is just crazy uh so that's my number two um keeping it in the world of new york films considering new york ninja uh nope did i did you lose me no, I got you. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. my headphones did something weird. Um, keeping it in the realm of uh, New York films, I got to say Vigilante is probably one of my all-time favorite New York and, like, revenge films. Wow. Um, everything about that is great. And I actually watched that a bunch of times while working on New York Ninja um, because it, it just, I don't know, just staying in that vibe of and that mentality of, like, watching New York films. Uh, love Vigilante. Um, <clears throat> Well, Brad had mentioned um, Lieberman when he mentioned Just Before Dawn, and it's funny because I, it, um, his movie uh, Squirm is probably one right. of my favorites because it actually is what kind of got me into cult films when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember watching that as a, as a young kid. Uh, my mom, for some reason, she loves like monster movies and especially like the killer insect type movies. Like she's a killer ants like phase four and um you know stuff like the bees which vinegar syndrome has put out um they uh <laughs> did you catch that one yeah <laughs> um one more you know yeah uh you know she she loves she loves those type of movies and i remember squirm being on the tv when i was a kid and it actually freaked me out it like literally freaked me out because i was about the age where you would transition from taking like baths to showers and anybody who's seen that movie yeah. there's a scene where the worms rain out from the shower head oh, and yeah. it, it, it freaked me the hell out yeah. but like but it, it, it it's one of those movies that actually kind of got me into cult films um so yeah so that's that's a big one um i don't know is that that was four i think and uh you know just to stay in the realm of ninjas i gotta go with uh revenge of the ninja yeah of Anything. course <laughs> You know, any anything with Shokazugi, yeah. uh, Shokazugi is awesome. Um, I love uh, his movies, Revenge of the Ninja. I mean, I probably had that on repeat while I was working on New York Ninja. There was there was a lot of movies that I kind of watched uh, repeatedly. It was a lot of like New York films. Um, Miss 45, I watched a bunch of times. It's not the same style as New York Ninja, but just anything that stayed in that realm. Um Vinegar Syndrome put out a movie called Death Promise. Uh, There you go. That's that's my second Vinegar Syndrome plug. Um, Which which is actually interesting because we ended up finding out that there were some people that were involved in that film uh, because it's it's another martial arts movie in New York. So um, we found out there was some crossover between New York Ninja and that. So, yeah, I, I watched a lot of like New York films and a lot of Ninja films just to stay in that mind frame. A bunch of stuff from like the Godfrey Ho films I watched during that time. But anyway, if you're going to talk about Ninja films. Revenge of the Ninja to me is yep. is the is the one. So, yep. yeah. Well, well, you guys have been more than generous with your time. You've been more than generous with your answers. Uh, you've busted my balls, but you've you you gave and you receive, which is the spirit of binge movies here. So it was all in good fun. Uh, it's an honor to talk to both of you guys. This was a this is an amazing fucking project. 
Uh, I own it. I was not sent a copy by Vinegar Syndrome. I went out and bought it. All my Vinegar Syndrome Blu-rays are purchased. I'm, this isn't this isn't some shill cast. I I actually buy their products, and I I got New York Ninja. Obviously, it was a blind. As soon as it came out, I got it. Um, didn't do nothing about it because no one had talked about it yet. I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And I've seen some WTF movies in my life, but. I, I can't speak highly enough about the project itself. If it does come to my neck of the woods here in sunny tropical Akron, Ohio, I'd love to be able to go to a screening to it. And if you guys ever, ever, ever want to come back about an upcoming project, you're more than welcome to. If you can fit me in your very busy lives and schedules, love to have you guys back. Get your plugs in individually and get your plugs in for Vinegar Syndrome. Where can our listeners find, other than VinegarSyndrome.com, just sell 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 yourself sell vinegar syndrome sell new york ninja right um well to, to to kind of piggyback up what you said i was born in akron ohio hey yeah. well we're a diy yeah. podcast in akron ohio we cover the entire spectrum of movies of genre and stuff so we are of a kindred soul my friend gotcha well i mean <laughs> do you remember video time oh hell yeah yes but video time was my was my school. Oh, there you go. Yeah, is it going to be video time or maybe Roadrunner, one of those? Yeah. Yeah, well, it was it was mainly video video time because there was one in Maslin, yeah, and then there was uh, one one in Akron. So, um, and 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 my um, and and then I think there was one in Canton yep. too. So, so my because most of my family lived in the Akron Canton Maslin area. Yep. And so there was like three video times around that or, or the, around there. So the I video time out. in Canton was that little tiny one that was uh that sat right there on the hill by the custard stand where they had ice cream. It was right there off of Fulton, I think. Yeah, 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 that's right. That, yep. uh, yeah, because my my grandmother or my mom worked at that custard uh stand, I believe. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But um, but yeah, that was that was a huge uh, a huge thing for me was was video time because they carried all this stuff. Yeah. So if you want your answer of why we release the movies we do, video time's my reason. Oh is, wow! I mean, they, they had a plethora of of uh, of horror. Their, their wall was insane. Yeah. For horror film. Um, but yeah, you could find me at uh, Brad F Henderson on Twitter. It's pretty much all I use. I am on Facebook, but. I probably won't talk to you on there because I never use it. <laughs> um, but yeah, mainly Twitter. Um, I'm pretty responsive on there. I, I try to answer everybody's questions. Um, you know, I do what I can. Uh, always recommending movies, recommend Vinegar Syndrome titles, tell you to, you know, maybe uh, buy this Vinegar Syndrome title instead of this Vinegar Syndrome title. <laughs> I have a preference. Brad's the sort of I guy would... who will watch the entire subspecies series of films in a single evening and be like, four is good, three is shit, two is no good, five is just basically a montage from all the other previous films. Uh, don't yeah, watch. No, I'm, then... I'm always watching. Yeah, um, don't watch any of them. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And Letterboxd, too. I mean, I don't really respond. There's no direct messaging on letterbox yeah. but you can follow me on letterbox see what i'm watching and and keep up with with that so curtis how about you what do you got what do you where can we follow you yeah uh so i don't i'm not great at social media it's not really my thing but <laughs> instagram is probably where i am the most uh curtis Spieler. um you can find me on instagram tell me if you like the movie hashtag new york ninja i, I follow the hashtag so i can keep track of who's watching it and enjoying it um 
you know, you could feel free to check out my other movies. I have a movie called Sheepskin that was released through Unearthed Films. I have another movie called The Devil's Well, which was released through um, Wild Eye. And I have a third movie that's coming out called The Dead Girl in Apartment 3, starring uh, Adrian King from Friday the 13th. That one is coming out through Wild Eye soon enough. And uh, VinegarSyndrome.com, uh, buy directly from the website. Like, we, we, we offer, uh, you know, slip covers and special editions through the website. Like, buy from us direct. I recommend that for most places. But def- yeah, it's cheaper. Fuck Amazon. Like, come to, <laughs> come to us. <laughs> DIY, go direct. DIY or die. Go direct. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I always spent, like people always put those Amazon links out. They're like, hey, this is available. I was like, fuck Amazon. Buy it from us. You can literally get it with a slip cover and it's like ten dollars cheaper. Oh like, yeah. What are you the, doing? The, Buying like pre-orders on Amazon. We didn't we didn't even get to the box art and the bot the the for all of your releases, but especially New York Ninja. You open it up, it comes with a book. It comes with a special features disc. It, it, it comes in a like a it's not even a slip case. It's a box with completely original art, then a high quality Blu-ray inside of it, and then like the making of, and there's hours and hours and hours of special features. I mean, I can't sell this project enough. If I it's downstairs, if I had it right here, I'd hold it up. But this isn't a video cast, so it'd be fucking worthless. But I'm just saying, when Vinegar Syndrome goes all in on a project, they go all in. They go above and beyond, uh, probably above and beyond budget. But they're delivering for fans of these sort of movies and movies in general. So go to their website. I always buy direct from you guys. Usually when I get one, you guys are pretty quick to ship. I get it really quick. I, I watch it and I go, oh, you know, hey, Vinegar Syndrome, blah, 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 blah. Vinegar Syndrome on Twitter doesn't respond. Brad always responds and goes, hope you enjoyed it. He even will follow up. He'll ask questions. What would you think about this? What would you think about that? I don't know if you know this, but we've had full exchanges, Brad, about <laughs> movies on there before that you guys have released. And I'm like, how does this guy have fucking time to talk to me on <laughs> fucking Twitter? But that's what you get when you go with Vinegar Syndrome. These guys, I mean, you heard their deep cuts of cult and exploitation films and genre pictures. These guys are the real deal. They're not running a sleazy operation. They love movies. They're not out to mock movies. And they're they're great and generous enough to talk to a DIY podcast, even though we are lucky to have the audience we do that comes straight to you from sunny, tropical Akron, Ohio. Thank you guys again. Again, Curtis, when you got your own independent movies, your own feature films coming on, if you're ever looking for a place to promo them, come on, Binge Movies. We'll have you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yep. And uh, appreciate you having us. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you guys for your time. And until next time, binge on.